Captain's log, stardate 46271.5. The Enterprise has entered orbit of Dynamicus 7, but our scheduled rendezvous with the supply ship Beko has been delayed for another 48 hours. In the meantime, many members of the crew are taking advantage of the delay to pursue their own projects, myself included. Welcome to 20 a Day, the podcast about the holodeck adventures in the Star Trek universe. I'm Nathan Plata. And I'm Epidiah Ravishaw. And uh, Nathan, you chose this week's episode. I sure did. Um, so as we've been going through our holodeck adventures, I think we can yeah we, we can see kind of a spectrum of what they entail. And some of them are more, um, you know, more, more an element of something else that is going on in the episode. Like the plot of the episode is about something and the holodeck happens to be involved. And then others are, here is an episode of Star Trek that we want to do something fun with. Is it going to be a holodeck (laughs) episode or is it going to be a Q episode? And so for let's do Star Trek, but a Western they chose to make that a holodeck episode in season six or in the next generation season six, episode eight, a fistful of datas. So uh, this is a very interesting thing you bring up because there's a, um, there's a thing that happens with science fiction as it ages, as it matures (laughs) like a fine wine or a Mm -hmm. cheese, um, where a fine Klingon fire wine. Yes. A fine Klingon fire wine. Um, where what happens is the uh i'm gonna say excuse the alibi the earlier alibi for something gets abandoned okay let me let me let me go back let me say this do you are you familiar with the the role-playing game gamma world (laughs) i i know about it but i've never played it so so gamma world is a post-apocalyptic wacky completely gonzo mutants everywhere you know it's after uh nuclear war and all the radiation has caused all these different mutations and things like that. That's from, uh, the seventies. Right. Mm-hmm. And then at some point in the early aughts, there was a remake of it. That was like, they said, we know that radiation doesn't do this. Right. But mm-hmm. they still want the mutants everywhere. So it's a nanotechnology apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And so this is the same thing, like an early Star Trek episode, not Next Generation, but early Star Trek. Mm. If they wanted a Western, they would land on a Western planet. Right, right. Is, yeah. It's just mm-hmm. a Western planet. We Which don't have I to explain why. is one of the episodes. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, or they do explain why, but it's a little, you know. This is a race of aliens that has only, like the what, like the, the, the gangster one where it's like, this race of aliens mm-hmm. has exactly one book from our world and patterned their entire society yes. around gangs of Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. And then at some point we're like, well, that's, that's cheesy. That's ridiculous. So instead of abandoning the idea of a, a Western world, what they do is they're like, no, it's inside the holodeck. And it's called. <laughs> so, so I guess what I'm saying is, is there's this thing that happens in sci-fi where they don't want to abandon the, the concept. They just want to abandon the excuse. So, so they keep trying to update the excuse for why it happens. The, the excuse needs to be more quote plausible because yeah, right. for, you know, because we're all such, because we've advanced as a society uh, in how we understand our fiction, I guess. But, yeah. Sure. Okay. It's still pretty silly. 
I would say very critically that uh, people in the 70s knew that radiation didn't do the thing that, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> right. this is it, almost always it's based on some misunderstanding of why people just enjoyed the original anyways, mm. you know. Uh, but anyways, uh, that's a soapbox. I don't need to be on for this episode because <laughs> it happened and we could just enjoy right. it. Yeah, See, that's the thing. I think this this whole uh, uh, preliminary, I think, is making it sound like we don't like this episode. I think this is a no. fun episode. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think maybe we'll talk about maybe a, a finer nuance of what about it is good uh or yeah. what aspects of it are the good part um may we'll get into at the end but um but yeah fistful of data's so our you know uh uh staff uh overview this one is a uh story by robert hewitt wolf um and then he uh did the teleplay and then brandon braga redid it or co-wrote it or whatever i feel like without getting deep into reading all the books about all the production and everything, because I have not done that. TNG had a very like writer's room E kind of thing. So the credits are sometimes a little hard to parse about exactly who a did what. shot. Yeah. But, um, Wolf ended up to produce and write for DS nine, uh, and mm-hmm. was very involved with deep space nine. Braga was a staff writer for TNG, um, wrote a bunch of episodes. He's wrote a bunch of episodes for other, shows and he also wrote what i think is probably the best next generation movie first contact he did the script oh, for that. okay yeah the director for this one is patrick stewart mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. interesting yeah <laughs> <laughs> um he directed five episodes of the show this is the third one and apparently there was a last minute switch that put him in the chair uh i just wanted to kind of hit a couple trivia points from memory alpha just because i think i thought they were fun to learn so this was a result of a pitch. So Wolf, the the writer or the original writer, whatever uh, story by a guy, uh, I guess he pitched multiple scripts, some of which he ended up doing in Deep Space Nine. Um, so this was mm-hmm. the Western one and it's the one that ended up getting picked <laughs> up. And so it sounds like production wise, everyone knew there was a Western episode coming up and people were very excited about it. And so Patrick Stewart <laughs> was like pumped to, to get to direct it because it was a bit of a, I don't know, a bit of a fun thing. Right. I mean, they've been at this for six years now. Sometimes it's fun to, to change things up. Well, and one thing that I thought was an interesting note was that it's been a while. So in the run of the show, it's actually been a while since mm-hmm. they did a holodeck episode. So for us, we're only watching the holodeck episode. So all of them are like, okay, right. it's another holodeck episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, this one, yeah, apparently they, they hadn't done a, a holodeck malfunctioning story in three seasons, which oh, I would right. have to go check the tape. That seems like a long gap. But yeah. sure. <laughs> but you know, it, if you're watching them, you know, in sequence and then in syndication, you know, you maybe you don't feel as like, oh, another holodeck episode. I do yeah. think it kind of stands out as a like, not just a oh, a holodeck episode, but a all right, we're going to let Brent Spiner do his thing episode. Yeah, <laughs> which I feel like they leaned more on as seasons went on, but that's mm-hmm. a separate issue. Um, but yeah, uh, and then one other kind of. I guess element just to throw out there and then we can maybe pick up on it as we go through is that neither Brandon Braga, who, you know, punched up the script, nor Patrick Stewart knew very much about Westerns, which, you know, which lends kind of a a bit of I think a bit of just like it is not a jaded 
kind of look at the Western or a let's um, re-examine the Western, which I feel like is kind of what happened in the 90s, right? Like, let's re-examine the genre. Yeah. Um, it does feel very much like a, oh, oh, let's do this. This is fun kind of approach. Yeah. Stewart apparently would go watch movies at night and then come back to the set the next day and be like, okay, here's what we're going to do. And people who knew Westerns were like, okay, we know what movie he just watched. <laughs> Which is, yeah. <laughs> which is very funny. That's great. There's my fun trivia notes that I get as as is you know my unique source for such things, Memory Alpha. Yeah, your inside edge, my inside lane on all the on all the trivia. But yeah, that all said, we should go right into our cold open. All right. Um. So I did not know until we started uh, recording, and I looked at the the IMDb page that Patrick Stewart had uh, directed this, which makes this opening, I mean, just a little bit more delicious. Pretty funny. It was already delicious, mm-hmm. but it's... <laughs> so we have Picard playing his uh, penny whistle, I- I'm assuming. To, to get into some nerd lore, that's his flute that is from... Do you recall the episode where he... I think it's the inner light is the title where he like lives an entire life on an alien planet. And then, Oh yes. Yeah. And then like learns that flute. Um, and then it's like kind of uh, a character trait after that, that he is, you know, continues to okay. play it and stuff. That's a star Trek lore reference, mm-hmm. but yes, it's basically a penny whistle. Yeah. <laughs> the Resecan flute. Resecan. Oh, all right. Something like that. And and he's playing this along with a recording, uh, which, first of all, I really enjoy the fact that uh, the Star Trek computer has MIDI <laughs> capabilities. Mm-hmm. He's able to uh, stop the recording and ask for it to play back by switching out two instruments. The clarinet for the oboe, I think, is what he wanted. Uh, and... I I went through this series of uh, of emotions. <laughs> let's say let's call them emotions, where I desired this capability, and then realized that this capability exists, and that <laughs> I could have it, and then suddenly didn't care. But I like because I thought if I could just tell a computer to take any recording and swap out that instrument for that instrument, I mean that would be like just you would spend endless hours just seeing what song sounded like when the guitar was a flute or a trumpet or, <laughs> um, and then I realized that a Casio keyboard can do this, right? Like this is what a MIDI does. Uh, obviously you can't take an actual recording and do that. Uh, like a, a recording of a actual people playing instruments. But if you programmed, and then I also realized that I have in fact done this in the past. There's mm-hmm. a, uh, a programming language that specifically, about making music and so you can just swap out the voices and you know like what sure. what anyways i don't know why i went on uh, a tear there but it just made <laughs> me think of uh it's yet another way in which the star trek of the late 80s and early 90s prefigured the future yeah exactly and then he gets repeatedly interrupted mm-hmm. i don't have the order in which he's interrupted here i think uh versus data and jordy because they want to test using data as the backup for the main computer for whatever <laughs> system so the, the the main thing is that they have two days of of dead time they're waiting for a rendezvous that's been yeah. delayed so our cold open tells us this is going to be a fun episode like everyone's chill <laughs> they have two days of r and r so Data and Jordy want to hook up Data and see if he can run systems on by himself as a backup, whatever. Then Dr. Crusher comes in and wants him in her play, which is, uh, <laughs> this is a, a fun bit of dialogue here. 
where he's like, I'm not much of an actor, which is great. <laughs> yeah, Chef Kiss. But then he gets kind of offended because he, he only wanted him for the butler. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not much of a role. <laughs> and then Worf comes in. Mm-hmm. And, okay, so we get into something here. Uh, and this is, like, I, my notes are, are uh, this is the classic Star Trek enforced leisure. Mm-hmm. There's a thing that happens in a lot of Star Trek episodes where the humans are enjoying their leisure time and the blank doesn't understand it <laughs> and the humans have to teach them how to relax mm-hmm. as if this was a fundamental human trait that other aliens in the world or in the universe uh can't perceive or aliens or robots are like you see it with vulcans but that's not actually what's happening here there's a totally different thing happening here but it, it is fun at this moment to see it like where Worf is like trying to make work for himself mm-hmm. and Picard is like, just chill, dude, just <laughs> chill. You have the free time, use it. Yeah, he, he wants to run security drills, but that doesn't make sense because they're taking on new staff soon. And so he's like, I'm going to run simulations. And Picard's like, just <laughs> take take a break, my man. Yeah, my dude. And we do see that Picard finally gets to settle into his his flute playing uh, before we follow Worf to find out the real reason why he was trying to make work for himself. Yeah. Worf goes back to his quarters where his son Alexander is. Where his son Alexander is playing the world's thickest iPad. (laughs) (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I put like, I had a lot about this video game here because <laughs> I was thinking about how advanced Star Trek technology is. Basically they have tablets, right? Mm-hmm. Like they, that's, they, they hand those around. They have this weird thing where, um, instead of everyone having a tablet on them, uh, you're handed a tablet with the data that you need on it. Mm-hmm. There's no Wi-Fi, Right. Though there is, as we learn later in this episode, because there's a yeah a information retrieval, but yeah, they have the whole thing where it's like purpose built tablets. Yeah, which when you think about it, like at first it seems like oh they just didn't get that technology right, but they also have replicators, right? So maybe that is the technology done right. Like if I could give up my phone, mm-hmm. like if I could just throw my phone away and then just replicate a new one whenever I need it, mm. yeah, why not? Like that's um, okay. Uh, anyways, yeah, that's we're we're getting some galaxy brain thoughts on here. I was just thinking, yeah. like, eh, I have a I have a you know a Kindle and a phone, and I use them for different things. That's a thing. Anyway, but this device is very chunky, mm. and it makes me think of all the computing power in it. That must deliver the most amazing experience. We don't see it; we mm. just see the back of it because he's looking at it, and it makes standard video game noises, so we know it's a video game. But we can extrapolate from mm-hmm. the fact that they are a very technologically advanced society and that this thing is so big. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by so big, I mean like the size of a, a novel or something <laughs> like that, or uh, an encyclopedia, I should say um, that is, is probably delivering like uh, terabytes, several terabytes of Ram, mm-hmm. like just the most amazing experience <laughs> I'm guessing. But is it as, as amazing experience as going onto the holodeck for Alexander's special Western program that he's been asking Worf to come do with him. Yeah. Did you know that we are a 100% listener-supported show? Our patrons at patreon.com slash 200 a day keep us in the podcast business, and in return receive exclusive episode previews, as well as plus expenses, a bonus podcast where we casually chat about media we're enjoying, 
and the things going on in our lives. We extend special thanks to our gumshoe patrons supporting this episode. Dale Norwood wrote a book, Trading Freedom, How Trade with China Defined Early America. is about fast ships, cheap drugs, and American political economy. Published by the University of Chicago Press. Find it wherever good books are sold. Chuck from whatyoureading.com. Paul Townend, who recommends Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color at fruitloopspod.com. Shane Liebling, check out rollforyear.party for all of your online dice rolling needs. Jay Adon, showcasing his amazing miniature painting skills at jayadon.com. Dave P., Dave Otterson, Kip Hawley, Matthew Lee, and Jay Thompson. And finally, a very special thanks to our detective-level patrons for their generous support. Michael Zalisco, Eric Antenor, at Antenor on Twitter, Brian Pereira, at Thermoware, Bill Anderson, at BillAnd88, and of course, Richard Haddam, at Richard Haddam. We follow them too, at 200pod. If you're interested in keeping us going for as little as $1 an episode, check out patreon.com slash 200 a day to see if becoming a patron is right for you. As it turns out, Worf was not able to make up any work to get him out of this. And so <laughs> Alexander tells him to saddle up and we have a Western sting in the Star Trek theme <laughs> as we go out to, the, to our credits. Yeah, man, that theme song gets me. I did. I'd forgotten how much that theme song got me. Yeah, it's a it's an all timer. I haven't given given in yet, but I do sometimes think about putting on. There are these YouTube channels that are just like the bridge noise from various oh, yes. Star Trek yeah. bridges. Because sometimes my entire desire to watch an episode of Star Trek is just to put it on and then ignore it while the soundscape is just in the room. Yeah, you just want like an ambient starship. That's all you want. That's all I want. No, I get it. I get it. You could do your work in the 10 forward cafe. Right. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, that'd be so sweet. (laughs) Like not actual Starfleet work, not Mm -hmm. actually in danger. Just, just chilling Mm -hmm. with the, the stars going by Mm -hmm. little noise in the background as people are collecting dishes or whatever. Yeah. The little shoomp shoomp of the doors. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Perfect. Anyhow, this this episode does a pretty pretty fun job of incorporating Western motifs into the the soundtrack, which is pretty cool. But uh, yeah, after our credits, we start off on the straight up a Hollywood backlot Western town. Yes, <laughs> which is in fact what they shot on. They they did do an outdoor backlot, you know, set um, mm-hmm. for for shooting it, which I appreciate. And of course, Worf and Alexander are in full Western costume as sheriff and deputy. Alexander introduces us to the holodeck program Deadwood, 19th century Earth, Mm -hmm. the ancient West. (laughs) We're going to get that a lot. Because so much farther in the future, the old West is now the ancient West. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We get a bit bit of back and forth to also, you know, establish what's going to be our uh, tension here. Uh, we go to engineering where Jordy is getting data hooked up to do their tests or whatever. And this is a great little like, oh, this is why these guys are friends scene. Because we get the, you know, the kind of the banter as he's hooking things up to Data's head about him trying to grow a beard. Yes. And uh, I I do appreciate that they're, I, I feel like they're um, 
getting audiences comfortable so they don't have a Riker beard moment with mm-hmm. Jordy, <laughs> right? Because when they came back, I don't remember what season it was where Riker showed up with a beard and mm-hmm. there was just, at the time, there was like, it was a controversy. It was, you know, <laughs> um, but now it's like, okay, be, be ready. There's mm-hmm. a beard coming. Jordy's, Jordy's going to have a beard. I don't think, I don't remember Jordy ever having a beard, though. Like this episode and the next episode, they make a point of saying, oh, he's he's growing a beard. And then I think yeah. a couple episodes later, they're like, what about that beard? He's like, ah, I shaved it off. <laughs> like it is in the text <laughs> great. about how he tried the beard, but it didn't work out. Um, we have a good exchange of. I must admit, Data, I never get used to seeing you like this. I do not understand. You are constantly working on similar electronic systems, yet their appearances do not disturb you. Yeah, but you're not just another electronic system. Thank you, Jordy. Nor are you just another biological organism. <laughs> uh, yeah. The action starts to heat up on the holodeck as uh, there's shots in the saloon. And we meet our villain of the, they don't call it a hollow novel. I think eventually they start calling these hollow novels. But the villain, the villain of the program. Yeah. Eli Hollander, the butcher of Bozeman. He's killed 23 men. So I guess Alexander wrote the program. So he's giving Worf all the info that he should know in order to participate. <laughs> right. Which is kind of funny. But we might have passed the thing here. Uh, if I can just rewind just a teeny bit here. There's a Barkley mention. Yeah. Yeah. It's right before this. Yeah. There's a great musical joke going on in this, I think. Well, I, one I appreciate, which is so there. This is where we learned that Alexander wrote the 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 program. They're they're walking into town, and uh, there is a woman on a balcony who is clearly showing off her legs, mm-hmm. and the harmonica in the background that is the <laughs> music is clearly a sexy harmonica mm-hmm. sound. If you can imagine, it's clearly meant to be this like like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. And she whistles at Worf. Yeah. And then Worf is a little skeptical and he asks, you wrote this hologram program yourself? And Alexander responds <laughs> with, you know, legendary creep show, Barkley, helped me write this. <laughs> <laughs> I will have to have a word with Mr. Barkley. Yeah. But when when they say that, the harmonica comes back in, but it's clearly joke harmonica sound. <laughs> it's the humorous harmonica sting. So I love that they they use the harmonica for both of those. I'm glad you're calling this out because one note about this episode is that it is an Emmy award winning episode for outstanding individual achievement in sound mixing for a drama series. Wow. Okay. So I'm glad you're picking up on these things because that work is being (laughs) appreciated live as we as we talk. I do want to comment about Eli here, Mm -hmm. if I may. You may. Uh, If you're like me, me, a fan of Briscoe County Jr. And this this man feels very much like a Western outlaw. It's because he he played the character Peter Hutter, who is a uh, uh, reoccurring outlaw on Briscoe County Jr. Like I when I saw it, I thought I, I didn't remember him specifically from Briscoe County Jr. I just remembered I just remember thinking this guy <laughs> is absolutely a wild west outlaw yeah the actor is um john piper ferguson Mm -hmm. i mean i didn't recognize him because i don't recognize most actors um but he was in unforgiven which came out like the year before this 
episode. <laughs> Anyhow. Yeah. So Eli Hollander is, you know, uh, talking with his crony, who is a uh, kind of a Mexican band bandit uh, stereotype. Mm-hmm. Um, not not the best character. Not the best character. Not the most sensitive characterization. No. But fortunately, not, not one that's in much of the episode. That does not require much more mention than that. Uh, but yeah. Eli, Eli's bragging and... and you know, shooting at his own wanted poster. So we know he's the bad guy. <laughs> and Alexander tells Worf he's the bad guy. So Worf takes his direct route, walks into the saloon, tells him he's under arrest, and his palm strikes him in the face and sends him <laughs> flying. And here's a good bit of lessons for our narrative development. Alexander stops the program. No, no, no. Computer, freeze program. What is wrong? That was too easy. It has to be harder to beat the bad guys. Otherwise, it's no fun. Computer, increase program difficulty to level four. Go back to where my father and I first walked into the saloon. <laughs> I love the, you know, the, how, how holiday programs have this, I guess, I don't know, parametric quality where I guess you program them with content, but then it handles scaling. <laughs> Like, like I want yeah. this to be harder. Like, what does that mean for a Western? It's it apparently means more smoke in the air, uh, <laughs> a more menacing kind of aura from the bad guys, and the fact that everyone else treats them as scarier than they were the first time. So we like reset the scene. We go through the first couple lines again, and then this time. When Worf and Alexander come in, everyone else in the saloon pieces out and leaves them all alone. Yeah. <laughs> to to Eli Hollander's credit, or to John Piper Ferguson's credit, he does feel like he went from level one to level four, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, just in how he reacts to Worf. It's it's not like he was cowering from Worf before, but for some reason, he does have much more menace in this uh, this moment. So this time... It is not a simple approach, and uh, they have a little more back and forth with, I don't think that's where Eli tells him, I don't think that's a very good idea, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and while they've been talking, uh, one of Eli's cronies has crept up behind Worf and then suddenly hits him over the head with a chair. This does not phase him, of course, <laughs> for he is Worf, but he ends mm-hmm. up in a uh, uh, exchanging blows in a bout of fisticuffs with Eli and his cronies. Um including the line where he turns to Alexander and goes, I'm beginning to see the appeal of this program. Yes. Very good. <laughs> but Eli has him under his gun once he's finished punching out his, his goons and uh, mm-hmm. is going to have them turn over all their money and jewelry. But before anything can go any further south, there's a sudden rifle shot and his hat flies off and we cut back to the door of the saloon and it's Troy with a shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> Alexander asked Counselor Troy to join us. She loves Western stories. I I will be honest. When she showed up and took that shot, I did not recognize her. And I was like, ooh, who's this? You know, like, mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, who is this? <laughs> Very excited to, to meet this brand new character. Obviously, like, it, it's she's great in this. Like, she doesn't have, like, a giant role or whatever, mm-hmm. but I really enjoy the role she has in this episode. Yeah, she seems like she's just having a lot of fun. Yeah. Back in engineering, they're going through various systems that Data is hooked up to, and then while he's in the middle of accessing some secondary systems, there's an energy fluctuation in his neural net. 
And he does some twitching. The absolute worst energy fluctuations. Especially in your neural net. Oof. This is, I mean, this, I, we, I think we might have gone into this before, but this is a little bit more evidence that, like, despite all of their advanced technology, they they just don't have fuse boxes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When anything happens on the ship, their panels explode and electrocute people and whatnot. And just they just have energy fluctuations all the time. Like the one thing they don't have control over is, <laughs> is the electricity uh-huh. aboard their ship. I think my, my uh, headcanon from last time we talked about this was like, the, the nature of the technology is such that fuses like won't work for some reason. Like they're right. either not yeah. strong enough or they didn't have to be so strong that they'd be tripping all the time. But yes, you'd think they figure out some other kind of safeguards. <laughs> but as we know, uh, uh, Star, Star Trek technology does not have it only has safeguards when narratively convenient, uh, because yeah. otherwise you'll never have any crises. And how else are you going to have drama? Any any advancement in technology is a compromise in one way or the other. And in this case, uh, it is occasionally your your Android gets fused with the ship's computer. And as we get farther and farther into our own future, where we just get notifications about all of our data, all of our, our data yeah. being compromised every three days. Right. Is this that unrealistic? Yeah, not not so much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh they deactivate the interface just in case they're going to try again in a couple hours but then when when data gets up he holsters his tricorder like a pistol yeah it's a great great little bit there on the holodeck Worf has taken eli to the town jail and asks alexander about the justice system do we put him on trial or do we execute him <laughs> <laughs> he's so i mean he doesn't come off as bloodthirsty but it's very like hmm do we get to execute him? One one character trait about Worf that I really like is that he he is he is the most D and D alignment chart lawful neutral character. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> like he needs to know what the rules are because he will abide by the rules. But if the rules are, mm-hmm. oh, you execute criminals, he'll do it because yeah, that's the rule. <laughs> um, and I think we we actually see that come into play with all of the I I. As time goes on, the Worf episodes and like the whole story with the Klingon High Council and all that stuff is probably the stuff I like the most about Next Generation. Yeah. And a lot of it yeah. is because of seeing his how he like balances his like sense of internal honor with all the rules of like whatever situation he's in. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. I just it's a good little bit in in uh, this scene. Mm-hmm. But they're supposed to hold him until a federal marshal can take him for trial to, like, St. Louis or whatever. Eli uh, reiterates it's not a good idea because his old man is going to come for him. And uh, Worf isn't going to like that. And Troy, who's been hanging out, smoking a cheroot behind the the uh, desk the whole time, says that he's right. You're no match for the Hollanders. And uh, we have a very fun bit here where Worf interacts with her like a co-worker. And she wants to be in her, in character. <laughs> yes. But we learned that she, she was just passing through and lent a helping hand when it was needed, but she doesn't have any reason to say. Counselor, I would appreciate some support in this matter. Durango. I'm called Durango. Yes, uh, Counselor Durango. Perhaps you would consider becoming a temporary deputy. <laughs> It's so good. I I really love uh, how much Troy is eating up this mm-hmm. uh, this whole thing. Like it's just just absolutely into uh, playing out this this whole game. Um, 
it's fun. It's a great contrast. It, it plays into that thing I was saying before, like where Star Trek likes to have this thing where aliens don't understand human leisure. And so here she is. She's just full on into it. Right. Mm-hmm. Because this is this is what you do. You're, you're space LARPing. Right. Why not? Yeah. Why wouldn't you? You know, uh, and and Worf is uh, starting to appreciate what's going on, but doesn't still isn't, you know, doesn't quite get the he's rubbing up against the invisible rules of it. Yeah. Yeah. She she always wanted to play the part of the mysterious stranger in the stories that her father would read her of the ancient West. Yes. It's good uh, stuff. The ancient West. The ancient West. We get an appearance by Annie, who is the <laughs> tavern keeper. She was behind the bar in the saloon. Mm-hmm. Um, she is uh, buxom, I would say, in in mm-hmm. in, a, mm-hmm. in a single word descri- description. Um, and she comes in to congratulate Worf on his success and gives him a. She kisses him, right? I forget exactly. Yeah, there's a, there's definitely a thing between her character and Worf's character, right? Like there's. Yeah, she's going to see him later tonight when she's going to make him a beefsteak and some gooseberry cobbler. I bought some special candles for the table setting. Pure beeswax. The meal, (laughs) the absolute feast she makes out of pure beeswax could feed an army like that <laughs> that is worth it for the episode alone i don't i really don't understand i don't i do not know why that would uh, i'm not a candle person i guess uh, <laughs> i don't i don't know uh well shout out to joy garrett for uh really killing it in this one yeah yeah pure beeswax huh, she was on days of our lives i guess that's not well oh. And between 1983 and 1985, she portrayed Boobsy Austin in The Young and the Restless. Well, there you go. (laughs) Now you understand what we mean. Uh, Now, she is a little confused by Worf's reaction to everything and why Worf would want to keep doing the work. Right, because her her character clearly, as you say, has a relationship with Worf's character, but Worf yeah. does not have a relationship with her. So, mm-hmm. um, she he kind of like he he pleads his duties to stay. He won't be able to mm-hmm. enjoy her uh, gooseberry cobbler and her beeswax candles tonight, and she gets offended. And it's another woman, ain't it? Mm-hmm. It's that floozy at Miss Langford's house of pleasure, and she slaps him. So what? Okay, a couple of things I find interesting about this scene. Number one, it's uh, that floozy mm-hmm. uh, because I mean I don't want to. This woman is coded floozy. Like that is mm-hmm. I mean l- like literally somebody had to write the code. <laughs> well, I I think she's being contrasted with the whistling woman. Like that's who she's talking about. Yeah, who is more of a promiscuous exactly. Floozy. But then this is where we get into the this is let's get into the meat of this. Right. OK. So far, this this is Alexander's program. Right. right? Worf is clearly the hero. Like if you were to play the video game, you would be playing Worf. Right. Um, Alexander's role in this so far has been to go to the bank mm-hmm. right now. I think he is just sent to the bank to get money. Durango needs to get paid to stay. So they're going to she asked for five hundred dollars. And so they send um, yeah. uh, Alexander to the bank to make the withdrawal. Yeah. But like the most tedious of jobs, <laughs> mm-hmm. a, a very dangerous job. And we I, we should recognize that and know that when it, when when he's suggested. But Alexander made this program for his dad with the help of Barkley, mm-hmm. in which there are two women. Uh, 
one of which calls the other a floozy, mm. who are fighting over him. Like one works at a house of pleasure, mm. the other is uh play the other is Annie here. Mm-hmm. And just there's something going on here just underneath. There's some psychological I don't know. I can't I can't figure it out. Tracking the the Alexander Wharf relationship, it 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 tracks, I think. Yeah. So Alexander is with Worf post his mother getting killed. Like, right. Yeah. Another one of those the, the Klingon storylines. Um, and then he went to like to Earth to stay with his grandparents for a while. Then he's back on the ship. And so the fact that he has a fantasy where his dad has some kind of relationship. <laughs> yes. That that seems to make sense to me. Okay, so now uh, uh, I am I am down. I'm on board with that. But now, but then you have Barkley involved, so you know. Yes, exactly. So, so they make it sexy. <laughs> yeah, you're on a starship. This young kid, a young Klingon. Well, he's he's half Klingon, right? Like, is, or, or no? Yeah, he, I guess he's technically like three quarters Klingon. It's because his mom three, is half yeah, Klingon, something like. That. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, this kid comes up to you and says, I would like to make this program for my dad. This is what I've got so far. Mm-hmm. Does Alexander say, can you sex this up? <laughs> or does Barkley go, you know what you need, kid? You need some more sex in this. Well, I think Barkley says, well, you know, this is how it would be in the ancient West. Let's go to the source right. material. Yes. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> yeah, these are tropes from this kind of yeah. story. But yeah, I think Bar- Barkley probably has a hand in it with that those beeswax candles. <laughs> pure beeswax all right let's take a little pause in the action here so that we can all sit back and catch our breaths and epi and i can let you know where you can find us elsewhere on the internet because as it turns out we do do other things than talk about the rockford files from time to time Epi, where can our fine listeners find you and your work? You can find my work at www.worldswithoutmaster.com. That's worlds, plural, master, singular. Or at digathousandholes.com, with the thousand being numeral 1000. I like complex URLs. <laughs> you can also find me on Twitter at Epidia, E-P-I-D-I-A-H. Where can we find you, Nathan? The hub for all of my stuff from games to zines to podcasts is ndpdesign.com. I recently started a new podcast called Appendix NDP, which is a solo show where I talk about various topics in games and publishing. So I will plug that for listeners of podcasts. You can also find me on Twitter at ndpaoletta, P-A-O-L-E-T-T-A. And on Instagram at the same handle, though I probably will only have pictures of my dog. So, you know, that may be a plus. <laughs> <laughs> now we return to the adventures of Jimbo Rockfish on 200 a Day. Picard is continuing to enjoy his leisure time and playing back the music he had been recording, but then starts glitching into a totally different kind of music. And then he, he <laughs> asks the computer, but the computer says, nope, this is what you asked for. Mm-hmm. Similarly, uh, Dr. Crusher is running her rehearsal where it seems that uh, Riker is probably the lead in his classic <laughs> I'm not on duty pajama pant, like pajama suit wear. <laughs> um, he takes some lines again from the top and it turns out that it is not the lines of the of the play, but lines from one of Data's poems about his cat. <laughs> Elis Catus. There's the gag of like, what are you reading? The lines. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> yes. The play is gone. I just keep getting more poetry. <laughs> 
I'm one hundred percent comfortable with this uh, happening to world literature. I would like <laughs> actually a a moment in, in a singularity in time in which all of world literature, all all of, of human literature is replaced by data's poetry, <laughs> and then we just have to recreate it after that. Like it's it's just a reset, just a uh, just a complete reset, just to to wipe wipe the slate clean. Yeah, exactly. They you know they they go to engineering, of course, to check it out, and there's nothing wrong with the the pads. Uh, they're mm-hmm. fine, but it's the info retrieval net. So they are talking to a, mm-hmm. you know a, a database somewhere. Yeah, an IRN, an info retrieval net. <laughs> so they go to do diagnostics because it probably has something to do with this connection that they had tried out earlier. Uh, I do enjoy the vast amounts of diagnostics that are done uh, on screen in Star Trek. I, I, I'm just a sucker for the uh, the petty day to day operation <laughs> of a starship. Mm-hmm. I like the telescoping time amount. Like sometimes the diagnostic takes like three seconds. Sometimes it's, it's like, well, in six right. hours, we'll know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Back on the holodeck, Alexander, he's abducted <laughs> while bringing his bag of cash back from the bank. I mean, he was begging for it. I mean, look at the size of that. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want a victim blame here, but. He's shaking a big bag of coins as he walks down the street. Yeah. <laughs> it might as well have a dollar. I'm surprised it didn't have a dollar sign on it, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Uh, but he's grabbed by some of the Hollander gang goons, and they take him to an underground mine. I guess mines are underground by definition. Yeah. The the purpose of which is to give us an ominous shadow uh, who approaches Alexander asking, where's my boy? Mm-hmm. Alexander, of course having written the program, knows that something is awry. I'm not supposed to be kidnapped now. And he tries to freeze the program, <laughs> but of course, doesn't freeze. See, that's, I honestly, that's why I like this old tech. <laughs> it's, you tell it to stop, it stops. You just pull the plug. You yank the fuse out. You just yank the fuse out. If there were buttons, if the holodeck just had buttons. Mm-hmm. Control C. That's, if he just hit Control C, well, unless it's Windows and then he's copying, but. I've seen this episode many times, so I know it's going to happen. But I... <laughs> well, let me just say this, that right now we're getting um, the beginning of our Brent Spiner. Uh, spectacular. Uh, spectacular. Yeah, his, his scene-tuary. And uh, the, the mean data is, is, is great. Uh, I'm, I'm already down for more of it. Mm-hmm. You get a taste of it right here, like when he he kind of reveals himself as the as uh, Frank Hollander, and you're just like, yes, I want more of this, more of angry data, no, or just mean data. I shouldn't say angry. This is this is mean in a how we would normally use it, but also very much in an ancient West mean ornery. Yes, ornery data for sure. In addition to the ominous shadow, um, we get the ominous lines of. Uh... You want us to kill him, Senor Frank? No. He's more valuable to us. Alive. <laughs> I believe we go to a commercial uh, based on the break here. And we come back to standard standard data, feeding his cat, designing mm-hmm. his special food for his selective tastes. But of course, Spot the cat doesn't want it, being a cat. This is, and I'm going to anticipate now, problems with the computers right Mm. so i thought i in my notes i was like well yeah but cats don't you know they're a cat like you 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 can't predict what they're going to want to eat (laughs) or whatever Mm -hmm. but 
so I was like, this isn't an indication that something has gone wrong. And it turns out it's not an indication that something's, this might be the only way in which the replicators are going right in doing the thing that they're right. supposed to do, which we'll see in a little bit. The indicator of something going wrong is when uh, Data says, Vamoose, you little varmint. Yes, because <laughs> Spot, uh, in the 20, what, what century are we in now? The, 20... <laughs> the 24th century, I think. 24th century. 24th century cats still like walking across keyboards, even mm-hmm. if they're just touch screens. Yep. <laughs> uh, as Star Trek viewers, we know that whenever Data does not use very particular language and uses contractions and stuff, that's a sign that something is has gone wrong. Something's up. In the saloon, uh, on the holodeck, Worf is looking for his deputy, and he is still mad at him and very uh, uh, gives him kind of the cold shoulder, saying she hasn't seen him. Uh, but then asks him, you know, order or get out kind of thing. He asks for a Klingon fire wine, and she responds, <laughs> this ain't Kansas City, <laughs> with your fancy European drinks. <laughs> Frank Hollander arrives with his goons, and so Worf sees him and assumes that, you know, Data has joined the program. Um, yeah. I, I like this because it's kind of like a, he, he says something like, you know, Commander, what are you doing here? And this gets like a, a total, like, no response. Based on how that interaction went with Troy, I think he's like, oh, I need to play along, right? Like, he he doesn't keep pressing it. He just kind of, like, now that he knows how things are supposed to work, he, like, gets back into character himself. I mean, maybe I'm reading a little too much into it, because it's also just to make the story work, but... um, or to make the reveal work that's about to happen, but I I can see a bit of a a cause and effect there. Uh, Hollander wants his boy. Worf says he's going to stand trial for murder. Hollander asks if he wants anything in exchange, and Worf says he has nothing he wants. But there's a pregnant pause before Hollander goes, what (laughs) about your deputy? Yeah. So Worf realizes what has happened, says he doesn't negotiate with criminals, and goes to leave. Hollander grabs him by the shoulder, but he grabs him with full data strength, and so it, like, hurts. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It it hurts Worf when we see him wince and stagger, and he's like, Commander, why did you do that? And then he realizes that it's not really data. Mm-hmm. Data would never do that kind of thing. He tries to freeze the program. It does not freeze. And so he dives out of the door ahead of gunshots. <laughs> Very exciting. There's a line. I, I think Frank Hollander's line is something like, you'll regret walking out that door mm-hmm. or something like that. And, it's, and I, I do appreciate that. Like, he's not walking out that door. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> he is diving. Out he goes. Out the door. Yeah. Um, he uh, bursts back into the, the, the jail to tell Troy that the holodeck safeguards aren't functioning. Um, and then mm-hmm. they try to end the program. They try to contact the bridge or security. None of it works. And then they see that Worf has a gunshot wound. Yeah. So a couple things here. Number one, uh, it's it's funny to have Troy try and contact security with Worf right there. <laughs> right. It's a little bit like um, standing next to Bruce Wayne and, and turning on the bat signal or whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, bad analogy. The other bit, though, that I, I like... Because I was thinking, if I ever had a holodeck problem, the the first person I'd go to, and the first person Troy of all people should go to, <laughs> is Barkley. Is Barkley? Right? Yeah, she knows that he he would be the one to get him out of this situation. And uh, but obviously, we don't have um, what's his name on hand to play Barkley this episode. Yeah, and this communication goes nowhere because things are going haywire. Yeah. Um, he can't explain why Frank Hollander looks like Data, but he has Alexander. 
And then Eli, who's still in the cell, starts mocking them. And they look, and it's Data as Eli Holliday yes. making funny faces and laughing at them. So we are now um, in deep within the roots of the Matrix trilogy. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This will become the, the... The Agents? Agent Smith, yeah. All right, sorry, Matrix Quadrilogy. Mm-hmm. And uh, now we get to see the origin of the title, A Fistful of Datas, which, of course, is from A Fistful of Dollars. So on Memory Alpha, it says that the original title was actually a um, good, bad, and the ugly riff, and they changed it. Um, it was like the good, the bad, and the Klingon, or something like that. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Also, I mean, that also works. I think A Fistful of Datas is kind of slightly funnier. Yeah, it, it at least fits the cadence better. There is one very clear Fistful of Dollars reference that will come up a mm-hmm. little later. Um, yeah, uh, wait, hold on. Fistful of Dollars is the Red Harvest one, right? It's the it's the one that um, Yojimbo is based on. Is it? I don't. I don't or, remember. Or, or sorry, the other way around. The one that I've seen the most is the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. So I don't really remember yeah. exactly what differentiates that from the other ones. The overall plot with like the kidnapping and the exchange is a real Bravo homage, which I've seen, but I do not remember because I think I watched it like 15 years ago. But I remember liking it. Yeah. So so Yojimbo was done in 61, which is mm-hmm. one of my all time favorite films. Uh, and then Fistful of Dollars was done in 64. And Fistful of Dollars is is very, very deeply inspired by Yojimbo. Mm-hmm. And well, I'll, I'll point it out later, but there's a moment in this that is very Fistful of Dollars uh, mm-hmm. that I, I'm certain was a, a direct homage. Yeah, the, the, the specific like referenced influences include... Fistful of Dollars and The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly and Rio Bravo and Shane, which I've never seen. Um, but oh, I'm sure yeah. there's all kinds of little, you know, little touches um, to many, many Westerns. So we uh, continue with Troy and Worf. Uh, Troy says that even though the safeguards are off, it's still a holodeck program. So if they can get to the end of the story, mm-hmm. it'll end and the program will terminate. But, you know. Like it's always done. I'm I'm absolutely sure there are other ones where it's like, you know, it will continue. Like, what will happen when we get to the end? It'll just continue forever, right? Like, yeah. again, it is a, depending on the needs of the episode is what the holodeck will mm-hmm. do <laughs> when it goes haywire. And so, so they need to get to the end of the story. So Worf will go see if he can find out where Alexander is. Um, we get a low-key uh staff meeting where uh mm-hmm. picard and Riker are talking to data and Jordy about the the issues cropping up all over the ship and so they've determined that one of the computer's subroutines got overwritten by elements of data's programming including recreational programming and the replicators because all of yeah. the replicators on like decks four through seven are doing nothing but cat food <laughs> <laughs> yes so I wrote this down for our gearheads. Mm. Um, the uh, it's sub subroutine C forty seven, which is responsible for library computer access, repl- replicator selection, recreational programming, but no critical systems. And I, a couple of things about that. Number one, how is replicator selection mm. not a critical system? I don't. Uh like that just seems fundamental that your food supply is is one but 
Anyways, mm. I, I do enjoy that those that subroutine C47 governs those three very disparate uh, parts of the ship, right? Can I give you an, a, another piece of memory alpha inspired trivia? Yeah. Apparently, I did not know this, but apparently um, the number 47 was a in-joke on the set. Oh, Originating okay. with uh, one of the writers named Joe Minoski. He started including references to 47 in his scripts in the fourth season and the in-joke caught on. And so from the fourth season of TNG through to Deep Space Nine, when they started kind of getting tired of it, 47 mm-hmm. is just in lots of places. Oh, interesting. So there you go. So C47, because <laughs> we needed a number. And when we need a number, we use 47. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't care to go any further down this rabbit hole, but that's what Memory Alpha tells me. <laughs> So they uh, they say they'll isolate the corrupted pathways, which Data says. I reckon the process should take less than two hours. What did you say? I said the process should take less than two hours. No, you said I reckon. According to my memory logs, I did not use those words. Y'all must be mistaken. There, Data, you did it again. Did what? But Jordy's like, all right, we'll go, you know, we'll run some diagnostics on you as well. And then we have a little hammy moment where he spits in a potted plant on his way out as if it's a spittoon. (laughs) He's got such a swagger at Uh this point. It's great. It's just wonderful. Uh, And I watched it with the uh, closed captioning on Mm -hmm. and uh, it definitely lets you know when data is drawing, which Mm -hmm. is great. That's a great touch. Um, in the jail, we see Troy watching Eli Eli shuffling cards and see that he's moving with the accelerated speed and precision of the normal data. So when Worf gets mm-hmm. back, um, she tells him this later, but so she sees that and Worf comes back. He knows that Alexander was abducted by Hollander's men. And then Frank Hollander himself comes by to see his boy. <laughs> and so we get a good Brent Spiner talking to himself scene. <laughs> <laughs> data on data acting always always a pleasure now i will point out the the premise of this episode involves them trying to hook data up to the starship computers so that data could take over part of the routines and whatnot that right. the starship computers would have to do right like uh, the yeah, idea of being that deva- yeah. data yeah that data is such an advanced piece of technology that this is a he could replace if only temporary, but um, what we're also getting at, this is the thing that the, the fundamental flaw of this, of the human endeavor in Star Trek, <laughs> which is a single data and a bunch of holograms could do the job <laughs> with less danger to human life mm-hmm. uh, than a giant starship, right? We should be sending out starships full of datas and holograms, right? I mean, I think which is why the the choice was made that data is a is essentially a unique being, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we can't we we haven't mass produced datas, right? And then the hologram thing again. I always just think of how there's a whole plot in Voyager about like holographic life and that essentially being yeah. a thing of like we could just have our own society like once we're sufficiently you know advanced. But yes. In this case, a whole team of data holograms could mm-hmm. take over <laughs> an entire Western town, is what we're learning. Exactly. <laughs> and strangers ain't invited. Right. 
So yeah, so I think now that Worf has a different idea of the stakes at hand, he's reconsidered and he's willing to make an exchange, Eli, for Alexander. Yes. Frank makes the makes the appointment uh, in two hours on the main street and yeah gives the look to troy and strangers aren't invited after he leaves Mm -hmm. though she says you can't trust him in every western i've ever read the villains always break their word he can't be trusted but we have made an honorable agreement they're not concerned with honor wharf this is the ancient west But uh, there's a gunfighter with the speed and accuracy of an android. And in two hours, mm-hmm. he's going to try and kill you. So stakes are high. Um, Riker checks in in engineering. Uh, Data is still, you know, still, still affecting his drawing accent. But they figured out that part of his memory structure was replaced by info from the recreational database, specifically <laughs> the Ancient West. Yes. And so they're doing a progressive purge in his systems and in the computer systems and everything should be worked out in a few hours <laughs> i mean you, you flush the cache you reboot mm-hmm. you're good yeah exactly That's, that fixes your problem there's no problem Worf and troy have a little map and everything as they plan out what they're going to do uh to to outwit the hollanders and we have uh another annie appearance she swoops yes. in yeah, you don't want to know what she had to do to get old man Newsom to give up his telegraph machine because they need some <laughs> some parts to do some things. And she makes a final overture to Worf. Lord knows why I keep risking my life for you, Sheriff. And then we get some good facial acting as Troy tries to get him to acknowledge, you know, her or you know do something. And finally, she's he's like, I forget what he says, but it's like, I very much appreciate your assistance or something like that. It's like, <laughs> uh, okay, that's all you're going to get. We see a uh, clock fade uh, of the hands going around to show the passage of time. And they have rigged up something with their communicators and the telegraph machine parts um, mm-hmm. to make a temporary force field. It's unstable and will last for no more than 15 seconds. They've got to use that Starfleet ingenuity yeah, to their yeah. advantage, even in the ancient West. Uh, this is the part that I think is is the uh, allusion to fistful of dollars, um, because that's the the scene. Um, I was just going to say, perhaps you remember in Back to the Future Three <laughs> when he put uh, a piece of a stove in his mm. shirt, uh, hid it, hid it in his jacket, so that when he got shot, he didn't uh, he didn't die. Uh, thinking, oh, that's a more relevant, uh, a more up to date and relevant, but it doesn't matter. It's all. <laughs> Right. The distant past. Yeah. Anyways, yes. So the, mm-hmm. the fistful of dollars, he put a piece of a iron piece of a stove, I think. Or no, it might have been a cast iron pot. I can't remember. Uh, but he wore it as armor. Mm-hmm. Um, we get our big standoff with the classic crows caw- or buzzards or whatever mm-hmm. cawing as Worf escorts Eli out. And we see all the townsfolk closing down the windows and scattering. And we have this big, I think I only really noticed it because in the write-up, there's a quote from Patrick Stewart about how his favorite part was he got to be on a crane for the shoot, like, uh, (laughs) because they were doing this outdoor, it was doing it all outdoors on the set. And so there's this big pull away crane shot to like show the big empty road. I was like, oh, that was his big crane shot. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) And then Frank uh, comes out with Alexander lights a cigar with the slow walking prisoner exchange as we cut back and forth we see goons all datas easing out of various <laughs> hidey holes with guns maybe a whole fistful of datas maybe a whole fistful of datas 
as as our prisoners approach their their uh i don't know their their endpoints on the exchange mm-hmm. frank shouts for eli to get down and the wharf shouts for alexander to you know to dive or whatever there's a moment this is just like I mean, it doesn't matter, but there's a, when they were planning, Worf was like, well, there's a rain barrel here and Alexander can hide behind it. And then here, Alexander dives behind the rain barrel. So I guess he just has good situational awareness. Um. Yeah, I, I I had the same note because I, specifically because they bring it up in the planning. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, it'll be interesting to see how they convince or how they get Alexander to do that. And he just does it. It doesn't matter. It just happens. It's just part of the thing. Um, and then, uh, Worf activates his force field and takes six direct shots from Frank Hollander yes. as they spark off his force field. So good looking out. Troy pops out out of hiding. She's covering the goons with her, her, uh, Winchester, but then the main goon, he is now data wearing a mustache and a sombrero, uh, yeah. throws senior Frank another pistol and it there's a slow-mo of it going through the air and uh frank hollander's reaching up to grab it and then there's a single shot and it shoots out of his hand and Worf made his quick draw <laughs> and got it just in time yeah and so frank goes go on shoot me there's a pregnant pause and Worf looks at alexander and sees alexander looking at him all wide-eyed and he just says don't let me see your face in this town again then <laughs> the, the hollanders slink off clearly defeated by uh the mm-hmm. mighty sheriff wharf now they're dodge's problem or silverado's problem right or some other <laughs> town's problem it doesn't matter <laughs> um they go into the saloon everyone is reunited alexander is fine but the program isn't over yet but it, that was the mm-hmm. end it should end but then our final appearance of annie oh wait now she is also data yes the, the what you've been waiting sweeps for. down the stairs <laughs> Tells Worf that he's as handy with, with a shooting iron as he is with a woman's heart. And as Worf kind of gives him a very wide-eyed stare, kind of nuzzles onto his chest and then fades out <laughs> as the program finally turns itself off. So it's, I mean, it's a gag. It's fine, I guess. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I would be uncomfortable with any co-worker doing that. So I, yeah. I'm just going to read it as such. Mm-hmm. We get to the end of our episode with a final voiceover from Picard. Everything's back to normal. They've made their rendezvous. Everything is great. We're back to status quo. And in our final little scene, Worf is trying to sneak out of their room and Alexander's pretending to be asleep, but he wakes up before Worf can escape. After what happened, I guess I'll never want to go back to the ancient West. The town of Deadwood may face danger once again. If they do, they will need a sheriff and a deputy. (laughs) And he passes through to the other room where Worf has his Western hat that he was wearing the whole time on a table and (laughs) puts it on. He looks at himself in the mirror and does a quick draw on himself. And then we get a very rare, big Michael Dorn Klingon smile. Uh, in his hat and with western harmonica in the soundtrack as the enterprise flies away into the stars yeah it's good stuff perhaps one could say flies off into the sunset oh yeah yeah i hadn't even thought of that yeah uh, it was a very fun episode 
there's something about this episode where there's no there okay so there are high stakes right because mm-hmm. Worf, alexander and troy are in danger and it seems like no one else in the crew ever knows it until it's done it, it's not one of those where it's like oh no they're on the holodeck and we can't communicate with them like this entire thing right takes place in the same time that they're like oh there's a problem with the systems well let's fix them and then by the time yeah. they're fixed they've already solved their own problem so everything is fine yeah i imagine there's a interesting conversation to have with you know dr crusher about his like bullet wound or whatever but right yeah and you don't get the scene where somebody is trying to uh hack their way into the 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 holodeck because it like, has to dress up in western gear to like come in and try and integrate into yeah. it or something uh yeah it's just kind of a fun like uh here's something that happens on their town time yeah it, it it does have it has almost a cozy feel where it's like they're on mm-hmm. their own little adventure and everyone else is on their own little adventure and it's kind of there's not quite enough story for either one of those to be the main story, which is why you have the A and the B like plots, right? Yeah. Even though they're kind of about the same thing. Yeah, the worst thing that happens to everyone else is that they just have to eat cat food for a little while. But it's only on some decks. Like they can get replicators on the other decks. Also, I mean I guess everyone has to read Data's poetry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, even though like the safeguards are turned off, which is more of a like all right, so now now Worf and Troy have to act differently because of that fact than they otherwise would. But it doesn't really feel like mm-hmm. they're in real. Like we know this is a fun holodeck episode; they're going to be fine. Yeah, yeah. I I'm kind of fond of this episode. I think I like watching the Brent Spiner chew on scenery stuff. We didn't really talk about it because yeah. kind of like if you know what I'm talking about, you know what that's like. Yeah. There is a good amount of that just with all the Western dialogue and all that stuff. Um, And he gets to wear lots of costumes. He apparently had three stand-ins for the shoot, which sounds like a lot of stand-ins. But um, I did start looking for them and saw a couple. In a couple spots, if you look in the background, you can see, like, someone who's clearly not Brent Spiner in the makeup, like, in the background (laughs) as one of the goons or whatever. Also, one detail that always pops out to me is when he's doing the, uh, the cards his sleeves are rolled mm-hmm. up and we see the makeup over arm hair. Oh, right. <laughs> we never see his body hair. Cause he's always fully like, you know, uh, in yeah. uniform or in sleeves. I think Riker's the only one we ever see body hair on. Sometimes uh, we see Picard's chest. Cause he oh, was right. like V those like deep V kind yeah. of shirts. Yeah. So that always, that stands out to me whenever I watch it. Cause I'm like, Oh, right. Like they didn't make him shave his arms for this. Like it's fine. And it, I mean, like, that's not data specifically. That's data yeah, that's a in different costume character. for the, the, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm kind of fond of this episode. I think it's fun. Um, I like, I like how Troy is in it. Like that could have been like Riker or someone. It's kind right, of in the yeah. middle of this weird, that weird movement they made towards like the Troy wharf relationship that never ended up panning out happening yeah Yeah. but i think this is like one of the better versions of that where they're just like being friends (laughs) yeah yeah i like that a lot so it's a fun episode of like all the characters i like doing a fun thing it's not a great star trek qua trek episode Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay so season six right so we've had quite a bit of star trek the next generation up to this point um and but around that time i'm 100 percent comfortable with shows doing like little experiments or just victory laps or you know just just having fun with what their their premise is uh rather than 
you know, stultifying in their formula. Right. Uh, I enjoyed this episode quite a bit. Yeah. Well, there's <laughs> something about these like long running episodic shows where I think it, it becomes less fashionable in the era of the season long storyline. Right. Where it's like, we're going to do the Shakespeare one. We're going to do the Western one. We're going to do the yeah gangster one. And it's kind of like, why not? Like, you got to fill 26 episodes yeah. a season and you got the talent. Like, come up with a premise and just go for it. Just have fun with it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I think you're 100% on the mark with uh, the season long arc problem, which is that it, during those, if you have an off episode like that, it either it has to stand out in some way. It can't just be eh, this week. We're just going to do something fun. It's got to be like in this week, we're going to have the comedic relief episode because everything's been very heavy or, you know, it's got to fit somehow into the arc. Whereas in this case, it just doesn't, it doesn't have to fit. It's fine. It's perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. It's like, I guess the original, like, idea of the bottle episode right yeah it's just kind of in its own little little thing um but you know i like westerns i like star trek this is a star trek western that is not taking itself too yeah. seriously and is 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 cute and fun and on the holodeck so it fits into our format <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> I, I will say that durango seems to be uh, asking for an awfully high fee of the five hundred dollars yeah. to stay <laughs> I mean, fast forward about yeah. what, like 75 years or so, and you have Dixon Hill asking for his 20 a day. Yeah, <laughs> that is quite the quite the price. But it's all it's all right. It's all it's all fake money. It's all good. Mm -hmm. Well, I think we've earned our 500. We've earned our five hundred dollars <laughs> for uh, for assisting the sheriff on this day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now that the town of Deadwood is is in safe hands i think we can safely yes. move on to uh to, to look at some other episodes and be back next time to talk about another holodeck episode in the star trek universe <laughs> pure beeswax